Hey everyone, it's me, TV. Just reminding you, we have t-shirts in the shop. Just go to pgttcm.com, check out all of our cool t-shirts and stickers. Heck, we even got some shelf curtains in there. Keep clean, look cool, have cool stickers to put on stuff. Join us on Patreon and get a free sticker. Or don't. It's up to you. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. and Farmer Dave, here once again to talk to you about the Cthulhu Mythos, its books, its monsters, its unfortunate human casualties, its timeline in general, and even its tangential bits, like the dreamlands or things of a weird nature that are Lovecraftian leaning. Once more we head into those dark woods, further feeling those malevolent forces upon us. Once again we walk down the lightless stone staircase in the middle of nowhere. You're listening to KZOM. I don't know when you're listening to this because of the magic of time travel through podcasting, but uh, this is Farmer Dave, and I'm sitting here in the last week of December of 2022, and I'm kind of reminiscing on this year and what has been. And we're we're an entertainment show, we're not a news show, but I, I mean, I think we do have to sort of acknowledge that there have been historically some I was going to use the word great I don't know if great's a good word but there's been some momentous things that have happened that like most things in the first quarter of the 21st century has been um, just completely tainted with politics Uh, so I'm just going to mention some things that I think history will remember 2022 for um whether good for bad and i want to be as neutral as possible but i mean obviously there's certain things that i i'm going to go a certain way and i think that the way we are looking at it the way that our entertainment media is looking at it now is going to be different than maybe the way we looked at historically and one is going to be uh you know, Dobbs v. Jackson, uh, that was the cha- challenge to uh, Roe versus Wade, where um, basically not only did the court rule that you did not have a constitutional right to abortion, but pretty much ruled that you did not have a constitutional right to privacy. And so I think the echoes from that decision We've just seen the immediate stuff. Um, But again, the big thing, I think, and it's the thing that that really, I think the first month and a half, where no, it's not going to happen, it's not going to happen, was the Ukrainian-Russian war. And there is no way, sitting here a year ago, that I would have thought 
that not only would the Russians have invaded, it would be a protracted European ground war uh, akin to almost World War One tactics. And I know it's not. I mean, it's got drones and things. But in a lot of ways, this is not how I would have thought a 21st century European ground war would have been fought. Um, the January 1st hearings, the classified documents in Mar-a-Lago. So there's just a lot of things, but in some ways, I think we're turning a curve. And, you know, I think a big thing's going to happen now is this, you know, this is my prediction and historians are laughing at me. Uh, the big thing, I think, besides the existing things, of course, it's, uh, is the uh, Chinese COVID outbreak. How the Chinese handle it now and whether it basically hits America again. But barring that, I think that, uh, I, th I think we're going to reverse a curve over the last six years. But you know what? We're not a political show. We're not even a history show, despite how far I try to move it that way sometimes. You know, we're an entertaining show, or entertainment show. So let's uh, talk a little bit about some entertainment. And so we're going to talk about some things that happened in 2022. And it's going to be completely my opinion because DB is a little under the weather and just swamped. And I'm talking, and maybe you're talking with me because I'm crazy and I think that way. So these are going to be completely my opinion. So are you ready for the best Lovecraftian show of 2022 and that is I believe Guillermo del Toro's Curi Cabinets of Curiosity uh, episode I think it was three which is the autopsy which I think is better show and I think even more Lovecraftian than the two Lovecraft ones which were uh, Dreams of the Witch House, as well as Pikmin's Model. And we're going to talk more about that, but uh, the autopsy, which has also been republished last year uh, in, and by uh, Hip Hop Campus Press uh, in a bunch of Michael uh, Shea stories, uh, or Michael Shea stories, uh, the autopsy, uh, the best weird stories of Michael Shea, including two unpublished stories, uh, put together pretty much a work of love by uh, his, his wife and S.D. Joshi. And a great show um, and uh, a great story and a great, uh, great tribute to someone who's sort of one of the um, lesser known um, second, third wave Lovecraftian writers. I think the best short this year was a H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival short in, um, uh, it was from Venezuela called The Girl in the Rift, directed by uh, Luis Bond. It's about a 20-minute show and where this woman and her friends and her friend's uncle are basically trapped in a time loop. 
and she has to basically compromise her values as well as make changes in this time loop without having other people believe that she's just straight out crazy. It's just a good, strong, powerful show. Um, and it's not necessarily Lovecraftian in the traditional cosmic horror, but the more I think about it, it definitely has this sort of sense of inevitableness and, and sort of the just raw effects of the galaxy on individuals when they encounter what the galaxy really is like. So I definitely think does deserve to be uh, in the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival, obviously. You know, uh, the Callahan's thought so because they, they put it in. Uh, but it's not necessarily your typical H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival monster show. But it was a great show in a great festival. And I'm so glad that this year I actually got to physically attend and watch some of the movies and shorts. So uh, let's jump into music. I'm going to say that the best new song in 2022 is by far one of my favorite bands. Uh, and it's sort of surprisingly so, I think, for a lot of people. But it's a it's a cover. And I used to be, I, you know, I was the guy up until about 10 years ago. Uh, is it, you know, covers are terrible. You're never going to have a good cover as good as, you know, the original uh, Johnny Cash's Hurt and uh, Postmodern Jukebox kind of changed my mind on that. So I think the best song of 2022 is... The Linda Lindas Tonight, which is an old uh, Go-Go song. And, and I, you know, I grew up in the 80s. I love the Go-Go's, you know, vacation, head over heel. You know, uh, when I was in college and I would take a nap, uh, you know, that was, yeah, it was my day nap music. It was just something that relaxed me, not because it was boring. It was just music that, that soothed me because I loved it so much. But I really, really like the Linda Lindas. Now, the average age of the Linda Lindas right now is 15, anywhere from about 11 to 18. Uh, but they are basically, if you had not heard of them, they came in about a year or two ago. They, they uh, got some amount of fame for their tour in the L.A. County libraries uh, with their song about how uh, racist, sexist boy, about how as they were treated during uh, the COVID lockdown. And how this basically uh, classmate went up to one of them and says, I can't talk to you because my dad says that if I talk to Chinese people, I will get COVID. And there were replies, well, you're a racist, sexist boy. And and there was a lot of complaint. Oh, don't call us out for, for when we do racist, sexist things. And no, kids, it's okay as long as it's safe and they're not going to be violent. You know, let people know especially when they're young, when they are doing racist, sexist things so that they won't do it in the future. But these guys, the, the, the Linda Lindas are much, much more than just this sort of novelty act. They are probably the hardest rocking punkers, especially SoCali, you know, Southern California punk out there right now. And they're incredibly talented. And not only, and I mean, I love the fact that they write punk rock odes to their cats. You know what? That's cool. 
what is more punk rock than sharing the thing that gets you through the day? And they really do, and, and yes, maybe there is, because of their age, sort of a soft edge. Um, they, But I think that the Linda Lindas are the closest capturing the original sort of feel of, of Riot Girl, uh, Riot G-R-L-L-L, -L -L, you know, the, the movement, the female punk movement of, you know, the early 21st century that uh, was mainly West Coast, L.A., Portland, Seattle, but they are basically returning back to Riot Girl, but not compromising and not being, they're still kids. They still see things. There's political things. They, you know, they are children, but they mention, you know, when they redid um, Rebel Girl, they mentioned that the Rebel Girl is gay. And so, yes, there is this very political movement, but there's it's tempered by this youthful beauty. So, yeah, uh, Hounds Down, you know, I think one of the best punk bands out there right now are these... Southern California Asian teenagers, the Linda Lindas. So what is the best graphic novel of 2022? And I'm kind of cheating here in the, the fact that the graphic novel came out actually last November, but that the comic books I think that it's based on, collected from, I think we're actually starting like 2020. But I am going to say that the best graphic novel of 2022 is Tank Girl King. Now, I like Tank Girl. Uh, I mean, I'm a huge Tank Girl fan. But in the same way like Barbarella, I like modern Tank Girl better than I like the original. I like modern interpretations of Barbarella more than I like the French, you know, 60s interpretations. So I like the modern Tank too because... The original, you know, Hewlett stories, they were wild, they were funny, they were crazy, they were punk, but they were a kind of a stream of consciousness. And the, the modern stories definitely, I think, are much more, they have stories. And the best, I think, is um, Two Girls, One Tank, which kind of explains a little bit back. It takes some of the events from the original Tank Girl stories and explains the aftermath. But uh, Tank Girl King uh, is uh, done uh, by, uh, I think it's Alan Martin. Uh, yeah, Alan Martin and it was drawn by Brett Parsons. And they sort of combine the best of two worlds. It's actually three stories, but they're told out of linear order so it's not one two three you get the first third of each and then they just kind of keep on adding but it takes the best wild craziness of the, the early hewlett days and combines them with a story sure it's a story about time traveling magic uh totems cool uh, cool you know, aggressive koalas and, you know, Excalibur, uh, where, you know, it's, yeah, it's crazy, I, I admit it, but it's a crazy, it's a story told in, it's a crazy story told in a cohesive plot. 
So if you like the really sort of weirdness of the original Tank Girl stories, but crave sort of more of a story with them, yeah, Tank Girl King is definitely the way to go. Now, let's say that you really do like the concept of Tank Girl, but this sort of high silliness, it just doesn't do your thing. You want a, a serious Tank Girl? Well, you know, Dark Horse Comics has got that for you. They released in a graphic novel. Uh, I have a hard copy. I think it's only a uh, hardback copy uh, is all that they're printing now. But in September, they released Callie. As in Callie, the, the goddess of death and destruction. Written by uh, Daniel Freeman and drawn by uh, Robert Samline. And he, it's uh, basically the sort of same post, uh, you know, uh, post-society living in sort of a desert, never exactly where, but kind of got the idea, maybe the ruins of California. It, it's almost like uh, Tank Girl's world, if you took out all the silliness, you know, all the kangaroo sex, and, you know, it just, it's basically a gang, an all-woman sort of female biker gang, and they have a revolution within the gang where part of the gang decides that they're going to give up the gang life and sell out to this sort of military government and to which they leave Callie their leader you know dead and dying and she's betrayed by her own sister only you find out that Callie's memories may not be as good as she thought they were and that she's not necessarily a reliable narrator. And as she goes on this path for of destruction and vengeance, and she knows that she can either save her life or she can get vengeance on her sister for betraying her and the gang, that maybe the events that triggered it were not as black and white as she seems to remember it. Uh, and it's it's a good story. I'm not going to say it, it's amazing and that there's some little bit of at the ending, but the art's great. Uh, tough female protagonist. I don't know if anybody they they move. They're all anti-heroes, but they're great characters, and you you understand you sympathize with the girls who sold out because of the lifestyle that they had. And that they're grasping on a hope for anything in a better life, even if it means giving up their freedom. And even if it turns out they basically were lied to, they're still sympathetic. You still understand why Callie's sister and the other girls did this. And especially, like, as you get Callie becomes more aware of what really happened. Uh, the best of my knowledge, it was not done as, like, issues that can only be bought as a oversized hardcover. Uh, but you can get it on Amazon, and it's definitely worth a look uh, and not a buy. And I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a great story, and um, definitely I feel worth it. I'm going to say that the best role-playing game that's out there that I've seen, and I have only had my hands on this for about two or three weeks. It's only just got out, uh, and I hope to do a much deeper review, but tabletop role-playing game, 
up the uh, Free League's version of Blade Runner. I think it does a very good job at capturing the feel, the look of Blade Runner. And I do recognize that it is a very difficult job for these writers to sort of fill in the parts that are not in Blade Runner or Blade Runner 2049 or the comics. And they don't really address the comics, but there are some art of Ash and other comic book characters. So there was some influence, Black Lotus. And, and I get that it's very difficult to fill out these non-canon portions. And some of the non-canon portions that must exist are kind of generics, you know, cyberpunk. But I think it's a great game. I think that a lot of mechanic issues that I had with Free League's, you know, year, year zero uh, version in Alien have been fixed and improved. And, and I'm really looking forward to possibly playing a or play, playing some uh, Blade Runner games because, um, yeah, the mechanics looks good, the style looks good. Uh, they're just suggested archetypes, but the archetypes there for your, your Blade Runner character are amazing. Um, it's rather light on rules. I, I don't want to say that. It's like a 300-page book. Uh, but uh, that's the trend in role-playing games right now, is to be less and less you know, rules, lawyery, and, and, you know, foundation of law, and, and more role-playing, but, uh, I, 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 I'm looking forward to, to seeing that. I, I think it's, uh, uh, gonna be a great game. Now, as we sort of wrap up here, I don't think it's anybody's surprise that's talked to me in the last year, at least last, at least since July, of what I thought was the greatest piece of media at any medium at any entertainment uh in 2022 and that is amazon prime's paper girl they take an amazing comic and uh, you know honestly made it even a better tv show uh, i love the actresses every one of them i hope has this incredible career if that's what they want to go on even the supporting ali wong who is known mainly as a comedian she has this amazing timing. So she just, in an understated way, dominates the the show when she's on screen. But it's in such an understated sort of lovable loser way because that's what her character is. She's this old, older woman, younger than me, so, you know, older woman who meets her, her younger self who's disappointed with her but the nuances and and in a lot of ways it may be the show that i've done the most deep diving into at least in the last decade and and there are were some things that i found like well this is missing and this is missing and this and, and it is there were some last minute decisions or where scenes were taken out and so you've got to just have you know uh, they talk about characters saying something that they never said because it was taken out. You just have to assume that they thought it was said or behind the scenes, you know, or, you know, the person, you know, sometimes we say that a person said something when what we really mean is that their actions and intentions are 
were like they said these words. Uh, so yeah, if you want to nitpick the show and, and absolutely and cheesy, some really bad CGI, but I have a huge tolerance to bad CGI, but as an ensemble, as characters, as people that are completely different as the four directions of the compass, they're that different who you by the end believe are absolutely ride or die for each other that they will give up their lives because these other girls have become their family. And yes, they punch each other in the nose and they have crushes on each other and they can't, don't know how to share their, their deepest secrets. Um, yes, it's just an amazing show and there's nothing more that I can tell you other than watch it and just hope somebody picks it up for a season two so that there's a conclusion uh, but by far the greatest form of entertainment in 2022, in my opinion, Paper Girls. It, it's, and, and I'm going to say it, I, I kind of up and down on it. You know, is the graphic novel better or is the series better? The graphic novel is better because it has a conclusion. It was written specifically. It's going to be a 30 issue comic book. We have an opening, we have a beginning, we have a close. Uh, the fun thing about that is that you know it's the opening then each of the four girls get this five issue arc and then the closing and it was designed so mastercraft on uh on vaughn on on making um you know plotting out a story but in general i'm going to say that the tv show is it's better it's just the the girls the fact that brian k vaughn ideas were taken but then it was given to a younger female writing room to put it in more realistic young women verbiage but keep his ideas going um so yes uh even though it may not have some of the more uh wild card oh i can't believe this is happening stuff in the comics because he just there's a difference between drawing and filming, I would still say it's it's better. And, and I just can't recommend it more, and I can't really say more without giving details. But yeah, that's pretty much my picks for 2022. And, you know, I, I say this every year, cautiously optimistic for 2023. And we here at the People's Guide to Cthulhu Mythos have some plans going. Hopefully we'll have some great things for the show, but just we hope DB and I and, and everyone else that supports us, we just hope that you guys all have a great 2023. And I hope that if you're listening to this in the near and or far future, that when I sign off, your response is, heck yeah, Dave, 2023 rock. Okay, hey, this is Farmer Dave, and see you in the future. Welcome to Usmuth, stranger. Hi, I'm Rob Whiten from the Innsmouth Book Club. Join me and my fellow guide, John Chadwick, as we take you on a fortnightly tour of Innsmouth. We visit places such as the Picture House, the Library and Innsmouth Museum 
to discuss all aspects of weird fiction, whether it be book, film, music, TV or art. As well as that, we stop over at the Gilman House to have a chat with a resident guest. That includes authors, artists, musicians, in fact, Lovecraftian creatives of all types. You can find our free shows on Patreon, and there you can also sign up as a patron, which brings you bonus content, plus a monthly PDF copy of Innsmouth News, which features articles, author spotlights, all the latest news and reviews, and more. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash InnsmouthBC. We hope to see you soon, because remember, Innsmouth isn't just a place, it's a state of mind. Thank you once again for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. You can help show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that'll tell you how to support the show, how to support our guests, and thank you to all of our guests who you can find in the show notes. Rate, review, subscribe, and remember, patrons get priority access to asking us questions, suggesting topics, even, I don't know, uh, submitting stuff. Actually, you don't have to be a patron to submit anything. That's how Dave got on the show, and that's how you can get on the show, too. It's the People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Thank you for listening. Back to the show. Everybody, uh, I hope you had a great Christmas and a happy new year. I'm not sure when you're listening to this, hey, but it, it's me, it's Farmer Dave. And uh, just for the end of the year things and under the weather, uh, DB will be editing it. So his heart and spirit is here, but uh, the words will be mine. Uh, so as such, as we close out the year, um, you know, I can basically talk about whatever I want to because, yeah, I can. So I'm going to talk about a, a Lovecraft story uh, that is I really like, but a lot of people are not that fond of. And a, a lot of people haven't read it. And I have to admit, this is one of the last sort of canon stories that, or Lovecraft stories that I have read in order. I mean, so I read pretty much everything else first, and just availability, I don't know why, but I like this story, and that is The Evil Clergyman. Uh, he wrote it right about when his career was wrapping up, and his writing in 1933. It is not published until 1939, the year after his death, and it's published in Weird Tales. Now, I'm going to be upfront. A lot of people are not fans of this story. And there's a couple of reasons why, and, and there are actually kind of reasons that I like this story. But going in and explaining it, we really cannot do it without some spoilers. So, again, spoilers warning on this, you know, 83 uh, year old story. 
but there are some spoilers. And one of the big spoilers is that this is Lovecraft's most pulp-like story. It's much more closer to the pulp writings that other people had done at this time. Um, so I may have been a question, you know, was he working with someone else that, that he so that he, he diverged from his, his style. And I don't think it's much, I mean, I definitely think it's still a cosmic horror story. And I'll go into why I think it's definitely a Lovecraftian story. But there's no evidence that he did this like some of the other stories uh, that were different from his style where he co-wrote with someone else. There's just no evidence from any of his writings there. And this could be an attempt to basically capture a market could have been this sort of experiment try something new so where did this traditional pulp story come from well like many other lovecraft stories he claims it was a dream um the other thing is that this is not as polished as some of his other works and, and that kind of endears it to me a little bit more it gives this narrator this sort of different quality uh, than say some of the other Lovecraftian narrators um, and I yeah the fact that it is a partial story um, it's not really a partial story it has a beginning and an ending and you know, a middle but it's not as edited as a Lovecraft story traditionally is and, and that's one of maybe one of the reasons I like, why I like it. It seems to be much more of a sort of a storytelling. Now, one Lovecraftian feature that it does have is that the narrator or the protagonist has no name. Well, of course he has a name. He just doesn't tell it to us. And even the evil clergyman is just he, the evil clergyman. Um, so I'm very Lovecraftian. Uh, feel he does not uh, sort of focus on uh, on names another Lovecraftian trope is that the narrator is not a necessarily reliable narrator um, and this could be the fact that Lovecraft was going to polish it up more or I think it more was planned so something is going to happen and we're going to talk about that but you know, his memory isn't quite clear of this life-shattering event because of because of the event. He's not sure exactly what town he's in. He knows he's not in London, somewhere in England. He doesn't know where he got this, this sort of ultraviolet ray gun that is going to be his tool that he uses against the supernatural. Now, one thing I, I did when I first read it, I got really strong Ghostbuster vibes and you know the uh, that this ultraviolet ray mechanism is similar to the, you know the uh, particle accelerators the proton packs and this is this concept of this science versus the supernatural which is going to be a huge pulp you know pulp fiction uh, pulp writers uh, you know trope uh which lovecraft 
gives his own little twist because even though the scientist has science, the supernatural has their own science, which is greater than the human science. So this character, this unnamed character, is definitely not Randolph Carter. And my default is when it's a, an unnamed character, um, I, I, I kind of assume it's Randolph Carter, but this is enough that we know that he's an Englishman who will probably migrate into America, but, but he wasn't born in America. We also um, see that he is basically a character or a sort of a parody of the parapsychologist. Uh, we think of parapsychology as being maybe a 70s, 80s you know, phenomenon, but the, the physical uh, explorers, the, you know, the physical scientists that tried to explain the occult in the 20s and the 30s, it, it was a, a huge movement. And so this guy is going to use this basically ultraviolet projector, and he's going to confront these supernatural that was brought in way before uh, maybe a hundred years or so before by this evil clergyman who had turned away from the Anglican Church and became a follower of one of the outer gods. And so he goes into the place where he's told don't go, you know, don't go there, but he goes there. Uh, and he confronts, he sees sort of a time-traveling experience or a vision, and I got this more of a, like a psychic vision or that like the psychic events of what the clergyman did left like this psychic supernatural fingerprinting he's experiencing it where he's seeing where the the bishop and the anglican priest confront their their fallen brethren and during this experiment this event the evil clergyman tries to possess him but our narrator has something that we find out that it's not the first attempt that somebody else could come in and the event had caused him to commit suicide but our narrator has something that the person didn't before didn't have and that is this ultraviolet ray gun uh, it's kind of like a flashlight that shoots ultraviolet and he basically zaps this spiritual entity of the evil clergyman uh, and irradiates it and basically pushes it out. Unfortunately, he does not completely victorious. So what happens is this attempt for this evil clergyman to possess our narrator fails in the fullest sense in that the narrator is able to retain his identity his memory although this is a little bit shaken because he can't remember certain things like what town this took place but what the evil clergyman does is he manifests in the the narrator by physically changing the narrator's appearance so that he looks like the evil clergyman. And, and one of the things, you know, Lovecraft describes him, you know, he's, he's wearing this 
you know, century or longer older uh, Anglican frock, but uh, he also has glasses. And so the narrator, when there's this attempt at possession or when he changes, his clothing changes and the glasses materialize. And when I first read that, I kind of didn't like it. I mean, I, I wanted the evil clergyman's face to appear, but, you know, everything else look, you know, the way it was. But I kind of appreciate that. We don't know the science it's going to be working on. And so is, is this almost my first reading? I thought, well, the evil clergyman had transformed this guy's body. But maybe it wasn't that instead of the evil clergyman possessing him, the evil clergyman's body goes back through time and is possessed by the narrator, or goes forward in time. Uh, just a, a different perspective of how the story went. Uh, but he now physically looks like and has the clothing and apparently glasses of the evil clergyman. And so the town folk, except for one person, all freak out because they think it's the return, the second coming of the evil clergyman. But the the guide basically knows what's happening. And this is where he tells uh, the narrator that this has happened before. That there was some sort of transformation, but that the, the uh, person that was possessed before basically went, kept his personality, but went insane and, and killed himself. Uh, what the guide says is you can't live here looking like this, although I'm not quite sure if you start putting on regular clothing, why, you know, he, he but he was afraid that people would identify him as the evil clergyman in that geographical area. So he says, you know, you need to leave and he suggests getting all the way from England to America, which is kind of hinted. Um, and then I would like to have seen this character's further adventures in the United States, where he's using this science to fight the supernatural. But um, like I said, this was towards the end of Lovecraft's career. And... and I wonder if maybe he had been healthier, if the reviews for Mountains of Madness and his other projects were better, whether maybe he would have continued on this vein, where this sort of more traditional pulp story, the more, you know, be able to fight evil, but not necessarily the effects of evil. Uh, and I, th I think that if Lovecraft had lived, this would have been a very interesting way for him to pursue his stories. And, and to me, this is sort of the, the opposite of a possession. So the evil clergyman didn't take over the narrator's body, but he basically cloaked the narrator's mind and spirit with his own body, exact opposite of what the evil clergyman was attempting. And, and I've always loved that sort of bit of irony, and I think in, in ways in the story it's understated, and some people don't really realize just 
how ironic the final part of this story is. Uh, by all means, it's definitely, I would say, worth It's not your traditional Lovecraft story. And if you're studying Lovecraft in an academic sense, it's, it's a good read, but if you, it's, not, it's not stereotypical or, or traditional Lovecraft story. But it's a good, strong story by the man. And, uh, you know, by all means, that's sort of my feelings on this. And if it's something you have strong feelings or maybe ideas about, by all means, well, we'd love to hear it and, and have you share it with the show.